Friday evening, Peter Roberts and I were standing in a field, a wheat field, north of Vermilion, and we were looking for an animal that had been shot by some hunters. And um, we were looking around in the dark, stumbling around through this wheat field, and all of a sudden, it was like daylight. Like we're standing in the pitch dark in this field. Peter's about five or six feet away from me, kind of looking at me. And all of a sudden, it was daylight. And I mean, like as light as day, the field was completely illuminated. I could see for miles in any direction because it's Alberta and it's flat. And so you can see everywhere. It was unbelievable. And I looked at Peter and he had this strange look on his face. And I looked over my shoulder and I looked and there was a huge ball of fire going through the sky. And of course, you've probably seen it on the news or you read about it in the the newspaper that it was a meteorite. But he and I had no idea what this thing was. In fact, I, I looked at him. I said, was that a flare? Like I thought someone had shot a flare and that it was just a few hundred yards in the air. And he said, no, I don't think so. And he said, you know, it looked more like a comet or something like that. Now, he told me later, he said... I thought for a moment, maybe this is it. (laughs) The sudden illumination from the sky. Maybe this is it. And I have to, with a a measure of um, embarrassment, I didn't have that thought. It didn't cross my mind. Well, I'm glad it crossed his. He takes seriously the notion that God could come back any moment. And so he thought maybe this was it. Today we are talking about how to keep our children from being impacted by so many things in the world that face them. We're talking specifically about drugs and alcohol. And I thought it totally appropriate to have Peter come and share with us for a few minutes about some of the things that he's learned in the course of his life about just exactly that. Not only is Peter our youth minister and deals with teens and so has to deal with those kind of subjects, but he's got some experience in this area and I thought it might be good for us to have him say something. So, Peter... Come and bless us. And if you're in here and you see that kind of light, then we should be taking note for sure. All right, I guess I was asked to um, share from my experience, I guess, whatever I could. Uh, I don't have any experience trying to, uh, I guess, prevent or help my kids stay away from drugs because my kid is two. Um, but I do have some experience, I guess, with the strain part of it. And so uh, I just wanted to, I guess, share a few of my experiences that I thought might be helpful. Um, and I'm going to try my best to uh, keep it brief. Um, but I, I thought I'd give you a quick history, I guess, just, just to my story, which will explain uh, what I'll later say. Um, but I, I grew up in, in the church. I grew up in Church of Christ, actually, uh, in a few different ones, mostly Salmon Arm and in one in Dauphin, Manitoba. Um, but from the time I was a baby, I went to church every Sunday. Um, I was much like many of your kids, I guess, in that sense. Um, and as I, as I neared the end of high school, um, can you guys hear an echo at all? No? Okay. Sorry. As I neared the end of high school, um, I began to, uh, I guess, wander a bit, I, you would say. Um, m- many, of, many in the room, I guess, have probably had a similar experience to me um, or, or time in their life. 
Um, but this was a time in my life where for a good two, two to two and a half years, um, I, I did, I don't know if I'd say aban- I abandoned my family, but I, I left, um, left home and didn't go back for almost two and a half years. Um, didn't talk to my parents very often other than to fight about um, how I'm fine and they don't need to keep preaching to me. Um, so for two and a half years, that was kind of my life. Um, went through many experiences uh, during that time. Um, the, the most difficult one, I guess, and the, the one which led me to, um, I think, which led me to the faith that I have now was, was my struggle with the abuse of drugs um, and an, an addiction to, to drugs. And um, There was actually a, just kind of an interesting little point is that when John Close came to this church, when he first started his job here, I was living in Calgary at that time. I think it was 2001. Um, and I was kind of an outreach project, I think, for him at that time. I remember him calling me and asking me to go play basketball with him. I think he's just trying to stay in touch and get me connected. Um, but uh, in some ways, I guess, um, that did mean a lot to me. But I never did end up coming to church while I was living here in Calgary, which is pretty ironic and I'm standing here right now today. Um, but there, there came a time and an experience in my life here in, while I was here in Calgary um, where um, I guess I was led to... Um, sorry, I'm trying to, trying to share this briefly but, and have it make sense. Um, but I guess there, there was a time in my life where uh, I began to realize what, where my life had gone and uh, through through the experiences of a couple week period, where some of my friends ended up in jail, um, and I somehow didn't, um, I guess I, I awoke and I st- began to reflect on my life and where it was headed and what I was doing. Um, I was destroying my life. I had abandoned my family. I had abandoned all, all of my friends. Um, had had basically lost contact with a lot of them. Um, but just by chance, after having a little battle with God for a couple of days, um, still trying to fight him and not wanting to, to accept him, I got a, a call from a friend in Regina um, who asked if I would like to come and live with him and his parents. He still lived at his parents' house and uh, said I could, I could stay in his room. He wanted to start a band with me. Uh, but that's, that's really the, the moment, I guess, where my life began to turn around. Um, I, I decided to move out there, and through a couple of years of struggling to overcome my addictions and my, my bad habits, um, and meeting Chelsea, who helped me to um, get rid of a lot of those things in my life, and um, basically slapped me around and get me to take life a little more seriously, um, I began on the journey I'm on now, I guess. So that's just a, a brief story, uh, or a brief history, I guess, of my story. Um, I also want to just before I, I just have five points and there's going to be five words I don't have a for, uh, sheet for you but if you wanted to write down the five words as I go through them um, for you to remember um, but before I get into that I just wanted to, to share that uh, I come from a family of five kids and there's a sense I guess in which me being up here sharing this this morning I feel like I'm critiquing like when I was thinking about this I felt like I was crit- critiquing my parents and the way that they parented and I'm in no way doing that this morning. I think in many ways, um, and especially as you approach 
um, raising your children. Every, every child is going to be different, and I was much different than every, all my brothers and sisters. I came from a family of five, and I was the only one that ended up struggling the way I did, I guess. And a lot of that has to do with who I am and the way that I react to certain things. Um, so that being said, um, I will share, I guess, the things I, that I feel, I guess, I experienced that, that I reacted to in the way I did. Um, and the, fir- the first word, I guess, is time. And when I was in grade six, or grade six, seven, or eight, somewhere around there, um, some of you might actually know, my dad had an accident with a horse um, pulling a fence post out of the ground, and the fence post hit him in the head. Um, he came very close to dying. And my brother had had to do CPR as the ambulance came. He had stopped breathing. His heart stopped beating. Um, and he his like his he was a bloody mess. <laughs> um, and he had been hit in the side of the head, and it had it had basically uh, almost killed him. And my brother did CPR, which he had just taken CPR training the the semester of school before this happened, like the last the spring semester, and then in the summer this happened. Um, and he kept my dad alive. The ambulance workers said he would have died if, if my brother had not been doing CPR on him. Um, anyway, what, what happened from this experience with my dad was that he ended up um, kind of going into seclusion. Uh, I don't know if it would be, be called depression. Um, he, had, he had, I guess, headache problems. Um, but he, I guess, for a period of about four to five years... I feel comfortable sharing with you with, or sharing this with you because he's, we've talked about it many times after. He's he's very aware of it now. He's he's overcome this. But for about four or five years, he kind of went into seclusion and was not involved in our lives very much. He would go to work and he'd come home and he would um, he would I guess just sit in his bedroom and watch TV until he went to sleep. And that that's kind of what I remember for for a good two or three year period. That's what I remember, um, I guess, of memories. And I guess to explain, probably the reason that that had a big impact on me was growing up when I was younger. My dad and I went on hunting trips. We spent a lot of time together, and so that had a big impact on me and my life and where I went. Um, so I guess I just say all that um, because I think time is an important thing, just spending time being involved in the life of your kids um, and just having an awareness of what they're doing. Um, the other, other word, I guess, is Friends. Uh, a big, big thing that had an impact on leading me to where I went was friends. Um, and this is something that uh, I know all of you have probably tried to teach your children. And as you, you know, those, those of you who are teens or young adults have had your parents probably say this to you already. Be careful of the friends who you choose. Um, and I now understand how true that is. But when I was a teenager, uh, even a young adult, I hated to hear that. And I thought it was most ridiculous thing in the world to think that I could be so easily influenced by people. Um, so I refuse to believe that. But when I look back now, there were, even up to the time where I was 20, even up to right now, I, the friends that I have have a huge impact on who I am and who I'm becoming. Um, and so, so that's a big thing. When I started grade 11 was the time where I made new friends. Um, some new people came to school that year, and I got to know them. And um, I'm not blaming them in any way for the path that I went down, but um, but had, it had a large influence, and I, I, I changed that year. Um, so I guess my um, from that I would say um, be be careful of uh, not be careful of the friends you're, you're making. I know it's it's a hard thing to try and 
influence the, your kids and the friends that they're making. So I'll, maybe I'll attempt right now, if you are a, a teen or a young adult, then be careful what friends that you make because it will influence. It'll it'll make you who you become. Uh, the friends that you surround yourself with, um, whether it's good or bad. Um, the next word, I guess, is just understanding. Um, and that is, especially in relation to drugs and alcohol, um, what I think one of the biggest um, things that caused me to struggle was not having a proper understanding of why I should not do drugs. Which I mean, it sounds stupid, you, and maybe I was stupid. Um, but I really, really, and you'd, you'd hear me say it all the time if you knew me back then and you tried to talk me, talk to me about doing drugs. I'd say, well, where does it say in the Bible not to do drugs? Where does it say in the Bible that I shouldn't, shouldn't, um, use drugs? Um, that was, was my big argument with my parents. Um, but just having a proper understanding of why you should not abuse drugs, why you should not abuse alcohol, um, and that is because they harm you. They destroy your life. Um, you know, I, I don't think, and I could be wrong, but I don't think, j- just like it's not, I don't think it's right to tell your child because I said so. It's not right to say, well, just because God said so. Uh, I, I firmly believe that God has a reason for um, for asking us to not do the things that he asks us not to do and to not be a part of and not be involved in, and that is that they harm us. Um, and so I guess just helping your your children have a proper understanding of these things, not you know because you're you because you're Christian you're not supposed to do these things. Um, if you abuse drugs or alcohol that they're going to destroy your life. You're going to lose your friends, you're going to lose your family. Um, you may end up living on the street because you're not going to be able to keep a job. Um, so just just proper understanding. Um, Second last is decision making, um, and that is, I guess, just allowing your children to have some freedom to make mistakes. Uh, I, in some ways, I guess I feel because of, of my upbringing in the church, uh, I was never really given an option to experiment—not to experiment, but to make mistakes. I guess I was told what I was to do, and I had to do it, or else I was punished. And my brothers and sisters didn't react the same way to that as I did. Um, for some, for some people, that's fine um, to just do that. But I'm not the type of person, I guess, that just is okay with just doing that. Um, I had a problem with that, and so the first moment I got, which is when I graduated, to make decisions for myself, I took that liberty and I, <laughs> I decided to do it, and made a lot of mistakes in, in the process. But um, just freedom to make some mistakes, and to just learn how to make decisions. Um, the last thing is just to always show grace to your children. Um, the biggest thing, which I mean, which brought me to this point right now, was the love and grace that my parents have. Um, and I guess just an example of that would be uh, after the first year I left home, I had been living in Salmon Arm, and uh, about four four months into living in Salmon Arm, I had. I had moved there because of one friend I had, but within four months, I never talked to that friend again, and I had a huge group of friends who I was now living with somehow, um, and in the process was involved in, um, in a lot of drug use, selling drugs. Um, I'd quit my job and sold my car so that 
I could fund this this business, I guess you would call it. Um, that's where that's where I was um, at that point in my life, and to ex- you know a perfect example of um, what that causes in your life is within um, probably four or five months um, through a lot of different events. I ended up without a place to live. I didn't have a car anymore. Um, I literally had a garbage bag with some clothes in it. That was my belongings, and I hitchhiked um, back and forth trying to find a a floor to sleep on with some friends. And uh, when it came to the point where I kind of was running out of those places and I ended up um, sleeping outside for a night um, on a sidewalk was the night or the the next morning I called my parents, um, hadn't talked to them for a while, and uh, just told them I wanted to come home. And they bought me a bus ticket immediately, and I left the next day. Um, and they had always told me at any point in, in your life, um, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you've done, I said, we want you to come home, and if you ever want to come home, we'll get you a bus ticket. And so, um, so that would be the last thing, I guess, and probably the most important is just to always show grace. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Um, but I think grace is what holds us all together, so that's all. Well, I didn't give Peter the text of the prodigal son this morning, but it would have worked. Like I'm, I'm just really kind of blown away by that. The other thing that blows me away is how similar Peter's and my thoughts are this morning about this particular subject. We didn't collaborate on this at all. I kind of wanted him to have the freedom to say what he was going to say, and it's, there's a correspondence here between our thoughts, which is quite striking. If you look at the outline that you've passed, that you've been passed out. I mentioned there in letter A that the Bible doesn't talk about marijuana or cocaine or crystal meth or LSD or ecstasy or heroin, but neither does it discuss human cloning or identity theft or destroying the environment with chemical toxins. Instead, we have biblical principles that help us make choices in a culture two millennia removed from the New Testament era. Oh yeah, sorry, if you need an outline, these guys have some, and you can uh, fill in the blanks with this, okay, if you need one. Hold up your hand and they'll bring one to you. But there is some biblical evidence here, some thoughts from the Bible on what's going on here with drug and alcohol abuse. Back there, bud. Shefia and Lindsay, thank you. The the text says in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this text from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20 Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so number one, in terms of filling in the blanks here, intoxication controls your mind with something other than God's Spirit. That's a huge problem. You're trying to relate to the Lord Almighty through the presence of His Spirit within you, and instead, you have a different Spirit within you. Isn't that why they call it Spirits? It does something to us. There's something inside there. And God wants us to be controlled by his spirit, for our minds to be controlled by his spirit. And you can't be there if you're intoxicated. Can you imagine a drunk person trying to sincerely communicate to God in prayer? It it, it strikes me as being something wrong with this. Number two, intoxication leads to debauchery. 
And for all of us who don't know what debauchery means, I've got it right there, debauchery. I even spelled it for you so you can get that right in the blank. Debauchery, plurals, debaucheries, starts around 1642. My guess is there was some debauchery before that. Extreme indulgence in sensuality, seduction from virtue or duty. In other words, it's a behavior problem. It leads to, this abuse leads to uncontrolled behavior. People do things that they otherwise wouldn't do were they in their right minds. I can remember like it was yesterday, and I'm sure that you guys have had, some of you have had stories similar to this. I can remember one time going on a camping trip. I, I probably told you the story. Going on a camping trip, I was about 14 years old. All my relatives were there. All the adults stayed up late. They all got plastered. And so I'm trying to sleep in the back of our canopy at this campground. And, of course, you know how campgrounds are. There's kind of camp spot after camp spot after camp spot. My stepmother starts to climb into the canopy where I'm sleeping because she thinks she's going to bed in there. And when she started to crawl in there, I said, hey, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like, oh, this is my spot for sleeping. You've got another spot somewhere else you're supposed to sleep. And she said to me, she's totally plastered, she said, Nobody loves me. I think I'm just going to go sleep with the dog. And so she literally stepped outside of the canopy, and we had our dog, we had a Norwegian elk hound, chained to a stake, and she laid down in the dirt with the dog and went to sleep. That is debauchery. Sleeping with the dog in the dirt is behavior that you wouldn't normally do, but you do it because you're drunk. And the Bible says we need to stay in our right minds. We could go on with story after story. Do you remember, some of you are old enough to remember Art Linklater's daughter when she jumped out of the window in New York City, killed herself because she was high on LSD? You remember Charles Manson and the Sharon Tate murders? Why did all those people so willingly follow Charles Manson into the hills of Beverly Hills and go kill Sharon Tate and her family because they were high. Think of people like Judy Garland or Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Elvis Presley, Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison. You probably heard a lot recently about the 27 Club, all the rock stars that die at age 27 because they're high and, uh, and doing drugs and alcohol. My sister is 49 years old and she looks like she's 60. And the reason why is because she has, for years, been a crystal meth addict. And if you get around somebody who's done a lot of crystal meth, you recognize the, the symptoms and the signs. Her cheeks are all, are all hollow. Her teeth are horrible. She looks like an old, drugged-out woman. Because that's exactly what she is. And it breaks my heart when I see her that she has spent her adult life essentially abusing drugs. It's an absolute tragedy. Peter, you were so right when you, when you said, yeah, we can't read specifically in the Bible that something is wrong with this, but there's something wrong with this. There is something wrong with this. Without doubt. Yesterday, Meg and I were having this kind of conversation. We're driving along and actually we went to Tim Hortons and we're getting out of the car and we were talking about this and just some comments were made about Britney Spears or somebody. And Megan said, Dad, it seems like they all end up like this. 
And it does seem that way. Because they do. And when you have that kind of money and free access to whatever you want and you have no value system that keeps you from doing that, you're going to go down that road. So it's no shock that Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears are train wrecks. It's not a shock at all because of where they come from in life. So number three, these things prevent us from honoring God with our bodies. And that's what the text says in 1 Corinthians 6. We're supposed to honor God with our bodies, and when we don't, we're in trouble. Now, Peter has done a great job of giving you five words. I have six. And they're not exactly the same, but that's just fine. Some of them are identical. So B, the six F's for creating an environment, a context, which will help your kids avoid drug and alcohol abuse. And some of this comes out of my own family, watching the abuse in my own family and the problems that were there, um, you know, and the reasons why I'm not doing that today. I, sometimes it just shocks me that I'm not a drug addict. Uh, I, you know, I have so many people in my family that are. When I, I have a, a long-lost cousin that I, she contacted me here within the last couple of months and wants to see me at Christmas time when we go down to Portland. And she and I just started going back and forth on emails and some phone calls talking about our extended family. And it's just story after story after story after story of disaster. And she, she can't believe that she and I aren't part of that disaster. And there's good reason for that. Well, go, just going through the blanks. Number one, one of these Fs that will, I think, help create an environment in which your kids will avoid drug and alcohol abuse. Number one, the example Stability, direction, safety, and security of a loving and communicative family. And every word in that sentence is chosen carefully. Don't just pass over those adjectives. Those things need to be there. And you need to think about what it means to be an example and stable and directing and safe and secure and loving and communicative. That's so important. That kind of family, I think, will help kids stay off drugs and alcohol. And and the point here is that you're trying to build a context of relationship. A context of relationship. Very similar in many ways to what Peter described in terms of his loving family that accepted him in coming back. Number two, the influence and esteem that comes with having good friends. And Peter mentioned this. I won't go into any link with it. Having great friends. Parents, you have a responsibility to watch who your kids are hanging around with. You do. God gave you that responsibility. Don't Don't shy away from that responsibility. Sometimes parents today are just scared to death to parent. It's as if God didn't give us that responsibility, but he did give you that responsibility. Be big enough, strong enough to take responsibility for some of the decisions that you should make. And obviously, you can't always choose your your friends for your kids. I'm not saying something like that, but just be responsible when it comes to recognizing the problem that friends can be. Number three, the fulfillment that comes with frequent opportunities for appropriate fun. Sometimes kids are just bored and they want something to do. Create fun for them that's appropriate and give them another avenue, another place to go. I love the fact that Megan has a youth group of which she's part. She can go do stuff with church kids. She doesn't have to do stuff with kids who are getting in trouble. And I love the fact that that we can create that kind of environment for them. Number four, access to the truth, the facts about drugs and alcohol. Peter just said that. He just said, hey, I didn't know. I wish I would have known the dangers here. Well, we have a responsibility for helping our kids have access to the truth, 
the facts about drugs and alcohol. Make sure that they understand how dangerous this stuff is. You know, sometimes we act like, and especially with alcohol, we act like, well, it's just not that big a deal. You know, we can kind of play with this and it's okay. Well, some people can, but some people can't at all. And we've got to recognize that. Uh, and when I say some people can, I simply mean that I, I'm not wanting to be a teetotaler here. I'm not saying to say I'm not trying to say that all use of alcohol is a problem. There are uses of alcohol that are legal, and adults can do this, and it's not a difficulty. But for Pete's sake, be careful! Like we have to have our wits about us when it comes to this kind of thing. I, I don't use alcohol. And the reason I don't is because I have a history of alcoholism in my family. It goes back for generations. Why would I want to mess with anything like that? When I have this wonderful life that I'm experiencing now, why would I want something else and, and to even toy or play with something else? Number five, the wise balance with respect to giving them offense and their freedom. Peter said we have to give kids the freedom to make a choice. I totally agree. We have to give our kids freedom to make their own choices. But we have to guide them in those choices. We have to help them with those choices. And so give them a fence that keeps them from going off the deep end when it comes to those kinds of choices. Be wise about that. And above all, pray about it. Pray about the wisdom that it takes to give your kids the fence and the freedom. And then number six the one secure foundation that will guide them most in your absence as parents, and that is faith. Give them faith. Help them experience faith. Help them come to faith and be what God wants them to be. You will not be there to protect them. They have to make their own decisions. i got two boys in Arkansas. I, I don't know what they're doing. I called one of them this morning at 9.30 his time, 8.30 my time or so on. He, he was obviously just getting out of bed. And I said, hey, you're not going to church together and what? And he said, I'm just kidding up. I'm going to church. Don't worry. Well, he better be. <laughs> like, I'm, I'll give him some freedom. But there's a fence there too. And I want him to have faith that will keep him from doing the things that God doesn't want him doing. Anyway, that's quick. Those are some things that I think will help us help our kids make wise decisions. Now, the last thing I'll do before I get down from here is Leanne Nickel is here with her mom and dad, and we have yet to introduce them in our assembly as far as I know. Where is she? This beautiful little girl. Hold Leanne Nickel up. Is she gorgeous? Ryan and Carrie, be smart about what you do with your kids. Make good decisions. Take Peter's advice. Let's stand and sing.